بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد يقول الله في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإما ينسينك الشيطان فلا تقعد بعد الذكرى مع القوم الظالمين the first of our loud salawat in honor of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. The second loud salawat in honor of Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam. A third with your loudest voices in honor of the Imam of our time, Imam Sahib al-Asr wa-Zaman. Respected scholars, brothers and sisters, Salaamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah wa Barakatuh. Ibn al-Walid, Shaykh al-Saduq, and Sayyid al-Murtada, Shaykh al-Mufid, Alam al-Hilli, as well as Shaheed al-Awwal, six of the most famous scholars in Shia history, who, between the six of them, had a major disagreement when it came to the forgetfulness of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family. On the one side, Shaykh al-Saduq ibn al-Walid and Sayyid al-Murtada believed that the Holy Prophet could forget including in Salah. On the other side, Shaykh al-Mufid, as well as Allam al-Hilli and Shaheed al-Awwal, believed that this was impossible. But these six still remain, arguably, bastions of thought when it comes to Shi'ism. There is no one in the world today who can ever call Shaykh al-Mufid or Shaykh al-Saduq kafir. No one can ever turn around and call them, for example, a mulhid or a zindiq or somebody who has left the path of Islam. Because these types of terminologies at that time were recognized for others, not between Shia. Whereas in my lifetime, they're used between Shia. In my lifetime, ever since I started giving majalis, I've seen so many ulama of the Shia who have been attacked or insulted 
from within the groups of scholars, not outside groups of scholars. If you look, for example, at the names of ulama, who all of us, in one way or the other, revere, you'll find at one stage or another, they've been attacked, they've been mocked, some have even been cursed. The likes of, for example, Ayatollah al-Khumaini has been cursed. Alama al-Taba'i has been cursed. The likes of, for example, Sayyid Muhammad Baqir al-Sadr has been cursed. The likes of Ayatollah Sadiq Shirazi has been cursed. You find, for example, Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah has been cursed. All of these different groups have in one way or the other even cursed the marja who they don't follow. Why? Because they believe that they have the only Shiism. And that there is only one Shiism. And that they are the ones who occupy that Shiism. So you'll find that those who may, for example, admire Ayatollah Khamenei, may curse, for example, Ayatollah Sadiq al-Shirazi. And those who admire Ayatollah Sadiq al-Shirazi may be of those who curse Ayatollah Khamenei. Those who admire Ayatollah Wahid al-Khurasani may have been of those who cursed Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah. Those who, for example, differ in worldviews with Alama Taba Taba'i may have re even reached the stage where they called him a kafir. If this was outside of Shi'ism, then you could always put it down to non-Shia who hate the Shia and therefore attack us or attack our scholars. But the reality is this is not outside the Shia. This is within. That at one stage or another, you'll find the followers of one group of scholars have attacked the followers of others. Because as I said, every single Shi'i in the world believes that he is on the first level one of the protectors of the aqidah that i want to protect the aqaid of ahl al-bayt and in turn protect the religion of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the religion has a number of sciences it has law it has ethics it has philosophy it has spirituality and it has theology each of these may involve either looking at things rationally or looking at things textually, or looking at things as a combination. So when I come to understand Tawheed, for example, Tawheed, I understand it through Aql and through Naql. Either I understand God's existence rationally, or I understand God's existence through text. When I therefore do that, there is a chance that when I come to the conclusion as to what is Shi'ism, there are certain absolutes that I may agree on and there are certain particulars that I might find a difference on. If I find a scholar who has an opinion on a certain theological issue and it differs from the way I perceive Shiism, then a number of conclusions emerge. First conclusion is that I could straight away attack that scholar and not just attack, encourage others around me to attack yes but he's a shia no he's not because he doesn't subscribe to the way i view shiism so therefore he's no longer shia i have a view and they have a view wait if i see two maraja one of them says there is an act which is haram in his eyes 
And another marja says the act is mustahab in his eyes. What do I do in that situation? Do I acknowledge plurality of opinion? Or do I turn around and say that the one who says this act is haram is somebody who is a deviant? Whereas the one who says it's mustahab is somebody who is God-gifted. Our maraja, we know if I find one who says Salat al-Jum'ah is wajib in the absence of the 12th Imam. And another who says it's haram to pray Jum'ah in the absence of a ma'soom. What do I do? Do I look at both of them and say that one is great and the other is deviated? Or do I acknowledge a diversity between the two? The reality is that there's a lot of people who sit on these pulpits who have in one way or the other encouraged followers of theirs to grow up with a hate of Shi'i scholars who do not agree with their Shi'ism. Ultimately, if you ask any Shi'i, what is your definition of Shi'ism? They'll say to you, to believe in God, tick. To believe in prophethood, tick. To believe in imamah, tick. Don't we all agree that that would be the base definition of Shi'ism? How then have I reached the conclusion that if someone believes in God and Nubu'a and imamah, I can still say that this guy is a val mudil. If the guy believes in God and the guy believes in prophethood, and the guy believes in imama, how do I reach a stage where I say he's a deviant? Maybe, maybe, that there's a historical issue that he doesn't believe in that I believe in. So for example, what if there's an issue or an incident in history that this scholar believes in that I don't believe in? Do I look at that scholar and say, because he does not believe in this issue, that means that that scholar is a deviant? Or do I say, well, ultimately, the pillars of this religion, Tawheed, Nubuwa, Imama, he believes in. Then within the pillars, there are different stones that are used to build that particular pillar. Some of those stones emerge. Do I have to believe in them or no? I'll give you an example quickly. If, for example, you have, when it comes to Imama, I may look at a particular thing related to the Imams. If a person doesn't believe my worldview on the imams, let's say that the imam does not have a shadow. Okay? An imam does not have a shadow. If you don't believe it, and I believe it, can I turn around and say, because you don't believe it, you are a deviant or not? Therefore, you found that one of the major diseases that we have in Shiism is that A, many Shia believe, that their 1,400-year crystallization of their theology has been literally smooth without any pebbles in the middle of it. That's absurd. Reality is, theology, by its nature, is gonna, as it's known as kalam, it's gonna have speech and debate within it. Secondly, the second problem we have is that there are even people who may talk about Theology, and they say we must protect our maraji'. How many times do you hear people say this? We must respect our maraji'. In brackets, if he agrees with my worldview. If he doesn't agree with my worldview, then I begin to say, wait, wait. We must respect our maraji'. 
dot 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 depending on whether that marja' subscribes to my worldview. For example, it's like speakers on the manbar. Sayyid Ammar is good if his lecture subscribes to my worldview. The moment he gives an opinion that doesn't subscribe to my worldview, not a good speaker. Not a good speaker. What do you mean not a good speaker? No, no, not good. So why not good? What, what did he say wrong? He doesn't agree with me on this. How about on 999 other things? Did he agree with you? Yes. So how did he turn from bad to good? Because one thing doesn't agree with me. What then begins to happen is that in Shi'ism, we reach a stage where we don't reflect on each other and our manner of thinking. Many times, the way we view the Ghaibah in the 1,000 years since the 12th Imam went into Ghaibah was to view it on this idea that all of the scholars agreed with each other. I said at the beginning of this that Sheikh al-Saduq versus Sheikh al-Mufid. Major difference on forgetfulness of the prophets. I ask you, if I sat on Mimbar today and said to you, and I'm going to come to analyze it shortly, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi said salams in the second rukah of say a four rukah salah. He then forgot Allah made him aware of that. What would you say about me? J just hold back and pause and think about this. I give a lecture and I say to you that the Prophet forgot in salah. And that because he forgot in salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminded him that in your second rukah you did for example Assalamu alaikum, Nabi, and you're meant to wait until when? Until the fourth rukah. I guarantee you that anyone who heard this, be they proficient in theology or not, will turn around and say, He's changing our youth. Deviant. Watch out. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What if Saduq says it? Shh. You've seen the bush in the desert? It goes like this. Because Saduq is a king in Shi'ism. He is a king. But Mufid differed with him big time. He is a king. Alam al-Hilli differed with him big time. He is a king. But Shaheed al-Awwal differed with him big time. Have we a Shia really grasped the last thousand years of intellectual development? Or is it that we live in a world of black and white? without any shades of gray at all. Let me tonight dissect this in complete depth. In order that I don't just discuss what I discussed last night about Muslims doing takfir of each other, but that rather the Shia should wake up and smell some of their own coffee sometimes. About the takfir that they do of one another. I'd like to examine this in the following stages. How could a scholar like Saduq reach a conclusion that my prophet could forget in salah? And how does he justify it Quranically and in the world of Hadith? Number two, what if there's a book that I disagree with and another scholar agrees with? Should we call each other Kuffar or Deviants or Val or Mughal? Number three, what if there's a Ziyara that we recite that you disagree with and I agree with? Should I call the scholar who puts a doubt on the ziyara a deviant or not? Number four, what if there's an incident in history that you agree with and I disagree with? Should I call it deviation or not? 
Number five, what is there if there's an aspect of imam that you believe in and I don't? Should I be called the deviant or not? Further than that, what if there is a method of showing love to Ahlul Bayt that you believe in and I don't? Should I be called a deviant for that or not? Further than that, what are the signs of the Shia? According to the Imams of Ahlul Bayt. And if someone has those signs but doesn't agree with everything that you believe in in Shiism, should they be called a deviant and should they not? Let me examine this and dissect the topic in complete depth. Sheikh al Saduq, bastion of thought, remains one of the Kutub al Arba'a. In his own lifetime, he's published hundreds of books, of which only some survive with us until today. Sheikh al-Saduq and Sheikh al-Mufid had a major debate when it comes to aqaid. Someone says, what do you mean when it comes to aqaid? How? Saduq is the king. Mufid is the king. One had a book called Al-I'tiqadat. The other replied to him with a book, Tasheeh Al-I'tiqad. One had a book called The Divine Creed. It's available in English, the Shia Creed. The other one replied, with a refutation of the Shia creed. Today, in our language, we would call both kafir. Or we'd open offices to curse each other. Or we'd make WhatsApp videos about Saduq and Mufid. Isn't that the way we do it now? Let's go back, let's go back. So now we're going back to Saduq and Mufid. Sheikh al-Saduq and his teacher Ibn al-Walid believed that Surah 6 verse 68 of the Quran highlighted that the Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family could forget in Salah. Absurd to think about, isn't it? Because for us, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and his family, how could he forget in Salah? It's impossible. Some of us don't forget in Salah. And he forgets in Salah. But the Quran, if you were to read Surah 6, verse 68, it's a baffling verse. And if shaitan causes you to forget... Then don't sit after the reminder has come to you with the oppressors. I beg all of you, if you read that ayah, if shaitan causes you to forget after the reminder has come to you, then don't sit with the who? With the disbelievers. Shaykh al-Saduq said this is a proof that the Prophet could forget in salah. We have over 10 ahadith which show that the Prophet could forget, not in revelation. Saduq would say in wahi he could never forget. That's impossible. But in salah, Saduq came and said that this could happen. I ask all of you here a question and those watching online. If I have a doubt, for example, am I on fourth rak'ah or fifth rak'ah? Or if I inadvertently in salah speak that which isn't part of salah? What is the sajdas that I do after salah called? Ahsantum. The sajdas of sahu. Saduq believed in sahu al-Nabi. He believed that sahu al-Nabi indicated that the Prophet could forget in salah. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed us that there are two sajdas. For example, fourth or fifth rukah, I'm not sure. Or for example, I might have forgotten, let's say, a tashahud. Or for example, I might have forgotten, uh, or I might have spoken advertently after the taslim. I might go down in sujood. Assalamu alaikum, ayyuhan nabi wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. For example, twice. 
I might do that. Why? Because Saduq says the Prophet forgot. The Prophet in his Salah, he came to the second Ruk'ah and he done Taslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Now in Dhuhr, on the second Ruk'ah, we know there is no Salam. Salam is in the fourth Ruk'ah. Saduq believed this. And his teacher, Ibn al-Walid, believed this. And who else believed this? Sayyid al-Murtada. Sayyid al-Murtada, giant in Shi'ism. Giant, giant. When I say giant, if you want to look at the giants of Shi'ism, we're mentioning all of them tonight. But these were the absolute giants of Shi'ism. Sheikh al-Mufid came back against Saduq. Saduq said the Prophet could forget in Salah, but could never forget in Wahi. And Saduq at the same time said, in the same way Rasulullah there may be spaces in where he sleeps. Likewise, there could be a period where this forgetfulness could affect him. Sheikh al-Mufid wrote the Shia creed. Saduq wrote the Shia creed. In many of the Shia aqaid creeds, they agreed with each other. But Mufid refuted him on this. Mufid said there's no way that the Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, could forget. Firstly, what are the arguments which continued with Alam al-Hilli in Kashf al-Murad? Alam al-Hilli himself said, no chance Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa could forget inside. Someone says, but hold on, Shaykh al-Mufid, Allah al-Hilli. The ayah says, When shaitan makes you forget, they said, wait, this ayah, although it's addressing the Prophet, in reality, it's reminding his companions that when the Quran is being revealed and you are discussing it, if you're, now wait, notice one thing. Some people are nodding at me now. Now they're saying, yeah, 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 that's what I want. No, 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 hold on. Theology doesn't work as to what you want. When I said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, Mufid said he doesn't forget, people went, why wouldn't people do that for Saduq? Saduq, man la yahdharahu al-faqih. Saduq, king. Why does no one want to go like that to Saduq? You know what we would have done to Saduq? We would have banned Saduq, we would have launched WhatsApps against him, and we would have destroyed him. Because we're not mature enough in knowing our 1400 year history. We only know 300 years of our history, not 1400. Ask any Shi'i, what is the Shi'i doing the whole year? Wilada, Shahad. Wilada, Shahad. Wilada, Shahad. 300 years. We are a 1400 year old school, not 300. So what happened in the other thousand? Now, let's go back, let's go back. So, Saduq turned around, Mufid said, this ayah is addressing the companions that although it's telling the Prophet, shaytan, and if shaytan, let me come to another point here. Most Shia Quran wise, no man's land. So what then happens is when a Shi'i has a worldview and you throw him an ayah he's not used to, he's not used to Surah Al An'am as an ayah. You're used to Yasin and Kothar and Qulhu Allahu and Tabbat and Inna Anzalnahu fi Not used to. An'am. Most people, if you tell them, have you read Surah Al-An'am? He goes, bro, I don't even know what the word means. He said, no, no, An'am. You know, Surah Al-An'am. He said, I don't know what the word means. He said, so do you know what An'am means? And you're a Shia Muslim and Allah told you to hold on to Quran and Ahlul Bayt. So I don't know what An'am means. I know it might be Surah 6 of the Quran. So when you therefore throw an ayah like this already, we're not into that Surah. But what did Mufid say? Mufid said, firstly, 
This is, yes, it speaks to the Prophet, but it's addressing the companions. Be careful. When you're talking about the Quran near the Kaaba, these polytheists are going to come and try and affect you. Shaitan will begin to affect you as well from their discussions. Number two, he started to refute him on the authenticity of the narrations. Yes, there might be narrations that he forgot. But do we take those ahad narrations? Number three, Alam al-Hilli said that, hold on, if you begin to open the door, that shaitan could affect him here, he could affect him elsewhere. And then how that, you see, the nod is coming again. I love the nod. Because the nod is a nod that justifies what I want to believe. Theology between ulama isn't about justifying what the crowd wants. The moment Manbar al-Hussein begins to justify what its crowd wants, Manbar's finished. When a speaker is only speaking because the crowd wants to hear something, Manbar's finished. When a speaker is taking the crowd towards the understanding of depths, that's when Manbar. Yes, at the beginning, some of these things are hard to stomach. Because we are not mature enough to intellectually differ. We don't know the meaning of differ. What we know is my way or the highway. My way or deviant. My way or val mudil. We don't have the maturity of intellectual discourse. We do, however, with our Hindu friend at work. We do with our Christian business partner. Oh, have a great meal with them and talk about philosophy all day. But if a Shia differs with me in another worldview, ban him. Rip him, destroy him, get rid of him. Who's saying get rid of him? Not the ones under Mimbar, they're innocent. The ones who are his peers are the problem. Because the peer doesn't want the mind to open. The peer wants it all to be his tashayyuh. Which one? Saduq or Mufids? Who do I choose? Whose tashayyuh do I choose? Someone will say, I want to choose Mufid. You're choosing Mufid's Tashayyu' because it's Mufid to you. Excuse the pun. Mufid means useful. Some will choose Mufid because it's useful to them. Others will choose. What's my point? My point is, Aqeedah Saduq. Aqeedah Mufid. Did you get people coming up on pulpits saying, what, bring you on, you know what, I'm ready to... No, no, relax, you're happy, but Relax. You go to Oxford, Cambridge, people have a manner of discussing. What are you doing jumping? It's theology. It's this discussion. By its nature, it's opinions. Back and forth. Therefore, Saduq and Mufid, they went through that period. Someone said, I subscribe to Sheikh and Mufid on this. Others called Hur al-Amili. Majlisi said, we go with Saduq. Sayyid al-Murtada and others who came later. But we go, Hur al-Amili and Majlis, he said, we go with Mufid. Others, like Sayyid al-Murtada said, we go with Saduq. Bottom line is, in Shi'ism, when it came to books on Aqeedah, there is Al-I'tiqadat and there is the Tasheeh. They are both erudite scholars today. No one banned them from their mosques. No one turned around and said, my Shi'ism or the highway. Because they knew. Tawheed, tick. Nubuwa, tick. Imama, tick. Now question. Did they differ about certain authentic traditions? Which one is sahih, which one's not? Of course they did. Of course. 
Someone like Mufid, at one point of his life, he may have turned around and said, I may not have enough evidence for a martyrdom of an Imam like Imam al-Jawad. Then you would have someone else like Shaykh al-Tuzi saying, no, I've got all the evidences for the martyrdoms of all the Imams. These scholars, they all had their way. Question arises, when it comes to, for example, now in the UK or the US or Canada, I will repeat, while I was growing up, the first person who I remember being insulted was Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah. Why? Here comes the first question. If me and you differ over an incident in Shi'i history or in history, can you call me a deviant or a deviated deviant? Wait. Here's a question which comes back to an issue about what the daruriyat are when it comes to theology. Everyone bear with me on this. Bibi Fatima Shahada. Salawatullah wa salamu alayha. Allahumma salam. Let's have a second much louder salawat if you don't mind. <clears throat> Third in honor of the Imam of our time. Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam, shahada. Two questions arise theologically from this issue. Is it wajib on me if I'm going to remain Shi'i that I have to believe in the whole incident or parts of the incident or what if I deny the incident? If you were to ask yourself what makes a Shi'i, what makes a Shi'i is Tawheed, Nubuwa, Imam, let's say, a Shi'i. The Ruriyat al-Deen, Tawheed al-Nubuwa al-Qiyamah, the Ruriyat al-Madhab, although there's no ayah or, or hadith saying the Ruriyat, I'm just going to use that word as to what are the definites that have to be there when it comes to formulating an understanding of our theology. First thing, if someone says, I don't believe in this incident, do they remain Shia or no? Let me just make something clear here. I personally... In my field, I come to a conclusion that I believe in the whole incident of the door, the miscarried baby and the broken rib. And I have shown this in my proofs that even there were non-Shia who admitted that we believe this very early on. It's not something random that's there. My friend says to me, said, Ammar, there's just a part of it that just doesn't add up to me. I say, what part? He says to me, for example, that I look at Imam Ali alayhi salam and I just think to myself, why didn't he do anything when his wife got attacked? Yep. That person is going through a period of questioning. And you look at scholars, whether it's someone like Ishtiyani in Bahr al-Fawaid or Sayyid al-Khoi, may Allah bless their souls, say that there are certain people, if they're going in a true search of ilm, True questioning. Shi'i. But a real questioning about trying to understand the particulars, that person doesn't leave Tashayyu because of that. That person is questioning. I personally, my answer is clear about that. Why Imam Ali, Fatima, this, that? My answer is clear. Number one, I will never ever in my life question Imam Ali's judgment on any issue. Imam sits, I agree. Imam stands, I agree. Well, I, my premise in him is I believe he's my Imam. 
Whatever decision he takes in life, I submit. Number two, I believe that the Prophet has left behind a wasiyah to the Imam about having sabr in the period after he dies. Number three, I do believe that Imam was involved in an attack on those who attacked the house. But the Imam held back from going further. Number four, I don't believe that she answered the door. Answering the door is when you open the door and have a conversation. Someone smashes a door abruptly on you. That's the difference. I have mine. But my friend says to me, Sayyidina, you know what? For me, it don't click. Does my friend become deviant? No. Is my friend misguided? My friend believes Allah, Nubuwa, 12 Imams. But on a historical incident, can a person be accused of Dal Mudil? Ayatollah Jawad Tabrizi, Ayatollah Wahid al Khurasani called Ayatollah Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah deviated, deviant because of his questioning of the incident of the door. Dal Mudil deviated, deviant. Someone in the crowd might say, anyone who doubts Bibi Shahada, la'nat on him. Someone might say that, but Baba, this is not the way discussion works. Rather, Sayyid Muhammad Hussain goes back to his Lord, goes back to his Lord, either, either, obstinately saying, I'm seeing all the proofs I don't want to believe, or truly, sincerely, Saying that in my reading of all the sources, this is the question or the conclusion that I've asked. But the second question is, do I, if I don't believe in an incident historically, but I believe Fatima al-Zahra Ma'suma, he says she is Ma'suma, she is Mavluma. Ma'suma, Mavluma. But not necessarily all the details, because if you ask your average Shi'i, what do you believe? One of them will say to you, I believe that she was kicked, broken rib, miscarried baby, slapped on her face. Another one will say to you, I believe that Omar came clearly, and this is within non-Shi'i literature, when he said, I'm going to burn the house. That is clear. But he says, after that, I don't go with the traditions. Question, if there is someone like that in my community, not just in the community, among scholars, do we go to a direction of calling them deviated, deviant? Why didn't Mufid call Saduq Val? Now, some have tried to argue that Mufid, by the way, had raised some objections to a very strong language in the way that he dealt with Sheikh al-Saduq. No problem. But at the end of the day, in Shiism today, Mufid and Saduq are the pillars of theology. That's all we know. But when we come today to this issue, we see... The first question that arises, and I'm not going to give an answer for these, by the way. Someone wants me to give an answer. I'm going to ask you to reflect. At the end of the day, Majlis al-Husayn is not a spoon-feeding session. It's a session where a person begins to go back and reflect. That's number one. Number two, what if someone differs on a particular historical book? Can they be called a deviant if they don't believe in a book that you believe in? Well, they don't believe the Qur'an is the word of God for sure. That's for sure. That's all agreed on. What if someone looks at a book like Kitab Sulaim bin Qais? What if one of you says to me, a scholar, what if a scholar, or one of you, says to me that I believe Kitab Sulaim bin Qais isn't even authentic? What if another of you says to me, there is no chain of authenticity for it? And it might be a forgery. What if a third one of you says, 
we have to be careful what we take from it. If a scholar did that on Mimbar today, some of us might say, how dare he doubt this? What if I say, Ibn al-Ghadairi, Sayyid al-Khoi, Sheikh al-Mufid? Do you have the audacity or the guts to say Sayyid al-Khoi is deviated? But if Sayyid al-Khoi or Sayyid al-Sistani or whoever questions a particular text, can I turn around to the Mawlana on Mambar and say, that that person is a deviant because they question the text. Please understand this delicate point. Because if you don't know your subject, don't go around spreading videos or rumors about these people. Said Muhammad Hussein Fadlallah went to his grave, went to his Lord. He only knows about his own research. All I know is to understand the difference. Said Al-Khoui goes back to his Lord about this opinion. But if there's a book. Number three, what if there's a ziyarah? Or a dua that someone differs from you on. Someone looks at you and says to you, I don't believe dua tawassul is authentic. And you're like, I've recited dua tawassul all my life. Anyone who says it's not authentic is not Shia. Why, why aren't they Shia? Listen, listen, why aren't they Shia? Because they've now burst my bubble. I've protected this bubble really well. But now you're bursting it. You're saying, no, no, hold on. But what if the person himself is quite competent in what he does? Are there ulama who may have questioned, for example, a dua like dua tawassul? Yes, they are. But no one will call them deviant. Why? Because in some cases, they are allegiance to them politically. So they're not going to call them deviant. Why? Because I like him on other things. If he doubts dua tawassul, I can't talk. Yeah, but he doubts Dua Tawassul. What if that other Mawlana doubted Dua Tawassul? You're always ready to stab him. But when it's a Mawlana you like, it's like, maybe give him benefit of doubt. You see how subjective we are? We're not going to Haq. We're going to personalities. Battle of Jamal. Talha, Zubair, Aisha, Ali and Ammar. And the man comes out in the middle. And he says to him, Mawla, one side is this, one side is that. Who's on the side of truth? He said, don't look at the personalities and then look at the truth. First look at the truth, then judge the personalities. I cannot look at because personality X says something, I will give them benefit of the doubt. But personality Y, who I don't like anyway, so when I don't like them and they say something a little more sensitive, I'm going to stab them even more. That's not ilm. That's not theology. So if someone today says, Ziyarat Ashura. Someone says, I believe in the whole of Ziyarat Ashura. But maybe the part at the end for La'na, I differ with. Someone says that. Allahumma al-an al-awwal wa-thani wa-thalitha. Someone says that. I'm not talking someone random. I'm talking Qum big scholars. Qum now, alive. Okay. Then there are others who can prove that no, that La'na was part of the original manuscript. You see the beauty of discussion? It's not one-sided. Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam's issue. I can prove one way, someone might prove to me another. Ziyarat Ashura, I can prove one way, someone might prove to me another. Let me go to another issue. A piece of Shi'i theology that the part of it, if someone doesn't agree with it, do they become deviant or no? Imama Raj'a. Hear, hear, hear me out. Imam, don't we all believe? Yes. 
You have a scholar who believes in imamah. Raj'ah, the idea that the 12 imams or some of the imams, I, I've gone into details in past majalis, but the idea that some of them will return to lead after the 12th imam, you all know. Yes. And sometimes you read a hadith, uh, whoever doesn't believe in our raj'ah is not one of us. Okay? You see these ahadith. Now, if someone says, Sayyidina, Raj'a just doesn't add up in my head. Or a scholar says, I don't believe in Raj'a. Okay? Does that person leave Shi'ism? Is Raj'a one of the daruriyat? Ayatollah Sistani, one of his representatives was asked this question about the Raja. He said, no, if a person doesn't believe in the Raja, it's not one of the daruriyat that a person must believe to remain Shi'i. But many of us hear about Raja. So someone might think if I say to them that I don't necessarily believe in Raja, I believe in the Raja of my Imam. That's for sure. But believing in the raj'ah of all the imams and they'll lead after the 12th imam and then Imam al Hussein will lead the janazah of the imam and then others will come. Habibi, you believe in it, others may not believe in it. Just because someone else doesn't believe what you believe doesn't make them deviant. If it's Saduq versus Mufid, your mouth is really silent, isn't it? It becomes really weak because you can't mess about. But when it's others who discuss this theology, we throw kufaran. Another one. Someone believes one of the best approaches to Islam is philosophy and arfan. You know how controversial that one is. That made people curse Ayatollah al-Khomeini. You know, there is a, a great number of Shia who curse him. And they curse Allama Taba Tabai. And you see videos online of people who say Taba Tabai and Khomeini and Ayatollah Bahjat and others. They say these are all deviants. Shias calling each other Shia deviants on YouTube. Why? Because of principles of philosophy or philosophical beliefs. You know that they would go deep into their philosophical discussions and they go back to scholars like Mullah Sadra and Mullah Sadra they would call a deviant so now you have Sadra, Taba Tabai, Mutahari, Bahjat <coughs> and others they're called deviants yes <sighs> they're called deviants why because they have a philosophical worldview what's their philosophical worldview they may look at certain principles on the nature of existence and the reality of existence and how you break down the nature of existence. And they may even quote from poems or poets like Rumi and Sa'di and Hafiz who are in some cases non-Shia and talk about goblets of wine. That brought about a major either discussion in a very civilized manner. One only has to look at Mekteb Tafkik and the discussions back and forth between Meshad and Qom. Or, or, it brought about a group who were saying Ayatollah Khomeini is a disbeliever and Taba Taba is a disbeliever. Now, if someone wants to delve in the world of philosophy to try and understand the nature of reality, you, you may in your ijtihad have come to the conclusion that such, such traditions to enter them is haram or is wrong. Ayatollah Khomeini also has his conclusion. Yes. Allama Taba Taba also has his conclusion. 
So do I turn around and say that you two are both deviants? By the way, these are sahib manabar, people who sit on manbar, who talk to their audiences and say that this Khomeini is this, Baba Tabai is this, Mutahari is this, Bahjat is this. Why? For what reason? Your Shiism is the only right Shiism? Ya Habibi, how is yours the only right one? How? Yes, you could say to me, because there is a hadith that's against falsafah, a hadith that's against Sufism. You know the ahadith Khomeini did not know? He didn't know. He never came across those. But you know everything. But he didn't know. No, but wahdat al-wujud. Yeah, so you understand it better than him. You've understood it better than Taba Taba'i. Number three, do I have to subscribe to Ayatollah al-Khomeini on philosophy? No, I don't. Ayatollah al-Khomeini may have his own ijtihad on the usage and the benefit of philosophy. I remain Shi'i. If I don't subscribe to Ayatollah Khomeini, do I remain Shi'i? Of course I remain Shi'i. Someone like in Najaf, some teachers teach philosophy. Others teach, other teachers do not teach philosophy. Let's go to another one. Azadari. Ayatollah Khamenei. For example, we'll say that the striking of the sword on the head, he says it's haram. Ayatollah Shirazi will say that this is something recommended. I look at the two, I think they both, when they come to their conclusions, offer interesting arguments. Ayatollah Shirazi is talking about the symbol that I show my yearning and readiness to always be a Husseini in the way that I, for example, shed blood by using this method. And that those who say that the religion says la darar, the reality is, yes, there should be no harm inflicted on others. What's the harm on oneself if there's a small cut? And the religion says that extreme emotion is makruh. Except for who? Except for Imam al-Husayn Look at the arguments. These are arguments amongst others. Someone might bring a hadith that say the Zainab struck her head on a bar. Okay. And some might bring other hadith of other imams showing extreme emotion. And some will even admit, yes, no imam done qamazani or no imam done zinjir. But that the culture of a particular group of people in showing expression for the love of Ahlul Bayt, this is their argument. Okay. Ayatollah Khamenei may come from a different angle. He might look at the issue of Sayyidah Zainab striking her head on a bar. He might look at it and say, that's not necessarily authentic. He might say, the image of the religion of Islam. He might turn around and he might give other arguments, for example, that the Imams and the Prophets did not do this. Another argument, yes, Jaza'ah, extreme love for Imam Hussein is excellent. But who are you to decide what is extreme love? All beautiful arguments. Why one side hates the other? Why? 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 Ya Habibi, if I don't subscribe to your manner of aza, be you follower of Ayatollah Khamenei, so I automatically become the source of venom if I don't subscribe? You have a particular Shiism. You frame that Shiism which things which subscribe to your worldview and don't. I have a Shiism. I believe in the Lord. I believe in Nubuwa. I believe in Imam. I believe 
for example, in the infallibility of the Imams, and that Imams are designated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that they have the knowledge of the Prophets which they inherit, and that I seek their intercession on the Day of Judgment, and that I am someone who loves Al-Muhammad and does tabarra and dissociate from the enemies of Al-Muhammad, but I may show this in a way different to you. Why are you putting everybody subject to your framework? No, it's not subject to your framework. Everybody who's a Shi'i, ultimately, if we take the intention as pure, yes? I cannot take the intention as impure because that's in a way sometimes tuhma, sometimes that is slander. I have reached this conclusion. My whole aim in this world is that I am close to the Imam of my time. If your aim is the same, then let's work together. For the Quran said, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Indeed, the believers are brothers of one another. Reconcile between your brethren. Yes? Have to be conscious of Allah. You who call this marja' kafir or this scholar kafir or you who launch campaigns against this speaker and that scholar. What are you trying to do? Your Shi'ism that you've built is the correct one. No one can differ. No one at all, if Mufid and Sadok can differ, anyone can differ. Yes? And that's why the reality is, when the Imams talk about the signs of the Shia, they provide you with certain signs which people forget when they get stuck in theological punch-ups. Yeah? Many of us forget the signs which Imams talk about, and we get stuck in theological punch-ups. Imam, for example, Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen says that the Prophet, peace be upon him, would tell him, Hold on to namaz al-shab, How many of us debate? Should I show love in this way, that way? Dal, mudil, deviant, deviant. How many of us have bothered once a month to pray namaz al-shab? Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen says, and a message to all those who are busy producing, how can I fight so-and-so? How can I snitch on so-and-so? How can I tell Mawlana X to fight Mawlana Y? Imam Amir al-Mu'min says that the Prophet told me, hold on to namaz al-sham. Build your spirituality. Remove these toxic issues that exist between you as Shia in Salat al-Layl. And someone would say to him, even on that night of Safin, which was a very difficult night. And he replied, even on that night, on that night in Safin, where there was fighting and swords, I found a way to pray Salat al-Layl. And Imam al-Sadiq would say, he is not one of our Shia, he who does not pray namaz al-shab, salat al-layl. What are we defining as Shia? My aza is better than yours. My tears are better. My love is better. Okay, I love your passion. But if your passion leads you to a world where you continuously backstab each other, that's not the passion that we want. Rather, the Imams would tell us that look at these Safad. He prays Salat al-Layl. He never misses his Salah. Especially, he'll never miss Fajr. He'll be the person you'll see that he'll wake up for Fajr. Not just wake up, he'll proudly recite the Adhan of Fajr. Yes? He'll stand up there in the middle of the most difficult environment, be it in a racist environment or a Muslim environment, be it in the middle of war or a normal environment, and he'll say, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. 
and he'll recite the adhan proudly even if he is moments away from his death. Yes? Even if he is moments away, all of you know where I'm heading, even if he is moments away from his death, then you'll see him stand up when his dad looks at him. He knows the sign from his father that it's Karbala, it's the morning of the 10th. Akbar, do what you do best. And he went out on that battlefield. Ali al Akbar, the apple of the eye of Abu Abdullah. Yes, nobody did he love as much as Akbar. And yet you see, Ali al Akbar showed you want to know what a Shi'i is? A Shi'i is not someone goes around fighting others and being rude to others of his own madhab. Yes? Rather, a Shi'i is someone in whichever difficulty he'll never miss salah. You want to be a Shi'i? You never miss salah. I don't care. If you are in the middle of war, exams, hard work, business, pressure, depression, get up and pray. Never miss salah. I don't care how religious, because Akbar showed, you know what? My dad only had a few left. And yet he looked at me and we both knew, while we have salah, we'll win. How many times we say about his dad, Ashhadu I swear you established salah. Who was the wasila? His boy. His boy was the wasila. His boy showed, don't just love my dad. My dad asked me for adhan. You got to make sure you look after that message. You imagine a few hours later, when all those companions had died. And then it comes to his turn. And he comes to his dad, he says, Dad, it's my turn to go now. You know, every single person in Karbala who came to Imam Al-Hussein and said to him, it's my turn to go, Imam would plead with them. Don't go, it's just me they want. He never had the strength to talk to his boy when he said that to him. They embraced an embrace that made them both fall on the ground from how much they were crying. Because for his father, it's a difficult, it's an extremely difficult moment. Any father here, I don't care how emotionless you are in your life, Akbar and Hussein's story breaks anyone. He hugged him, he embraced him, and then he helped his son on his horse. May Allah never show you that you have to put your son in a car on his way to death. May Allah never show you. There are people, their sons are injured, their hearts broken. Imagine your son ripped to pieces. He puts him on the horse. He's about to go. He heard his father say, come back. <laughs> He came back, he said to him, what is it? He said to him, son, you don't know how hard it is. Imagine Abba Abdullah, chosen by Allah, chosen by Allah, tells his son, you don't know how hard it is for a father to bid farewell to his son. He hugged him, he said, do one thing, go to the tent, bid farewell to your auntie Zainab. 
He went, he bid farewell, the auntie, those who believe the mother was there, the mother, Layla. And then he came out onto the battlefield. He wanted to represent his father in the best way that he could. All of you know the lines. Ana Ali ibn al-Hussein ibn Ali. نحن وبيت الأولى بالنبي أطعنكم بالرم حتى ينثني أضربكم بالسيف أحمي عن أبي ضرب غلام هاشمي علوي والله لا يحكم فينا ابن الدعية He said I am Ali the son of Hussein the son of Ali we and the house of Allah are the closest to the Nabi. I'll strike you with a spear until I finish you. <laughs> I'll strike you with a sword defending my father. A strike that is both Hashimi and Alawi. Listen to those lines. Wallah, Wallah, that son of Zina will never rule over me. That son of illegitimate birth will never rule over me. He fought valiantly on the plains of Karbala, seeking to protect his father as well as he could. Imagine the feeling for his mom in the tent, yes? She cannot tell how well he's doing. The only way she could tell she'd look at the face of Abba Abdullah Allah listen to these lines all of you she'd look at the face of Abba Abdullah if Abba Abdullah smiling then she'd know the boy is doing well she saw a change in the face of Abba Abdullah when she saw that change she said tell me about my son how's he doing out there on the battlefield he said to Layla there's a man about to attack him recite the dua of a mother Allah recite the dua of a mother because Allah never rejects the dua of a mother on her children listen to those lines all of you Allah never rejects the dua of a mom. A mom prays against you, forget your life. A mom prays for you, then know your life will do well. She said, Ya Allah, I ask you in the name of the thirst of Abba Abdullah. Number one, learn from this. I ask you in the name of the thirst of Abba Abdullah. That's number one. Number two, I ask you in the name of the loneliness of Abba Abdullah. Number two. Number three, I ask you in the name of the oppression against Abba Abdullah. Return my boy back to me. Oh, you who returned Ismail back to Hajar. And you who returned Yusuf back to Yaqub. Return my boy to me. He returned back to his mom. He embraced her. He then turned towards his father. He said, Father, the thirst is killing me. This is all for you, old mothers out there. Father, Father, the thirst is killing me. Abba Abdullah took out his tongue. He tried to make his tongue. 
He took out his tongue and he placed it on his boy. <laughs> but the boy turned round to the father and said, Your tongue is drier than mine. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> Imam Al Hussein now had to bid him farewell, yes. He said to him in a moment, Your grandfather, he'll quench your thirst from the pool of Kothar. Akbar went out within a few moments. You could hear a call in you could hear a boy calling out Assalamu alaykum Abdullah Imam al Hussein when he came out of the tent he went in the wrong direction just ponder on this all of you Imam al Hussein went in the wrong direction Sukaina called out father father he's over there he said, Sukaina, don't blame your father. Him falling has blinded his eyes. He got closer to his boy. When he came near his boy's body, he looked at him. The boy smiled and the boy cried. Allah. Imam said to him, my son and my boy, why do you smile and why do you cry? <laughs> Listen to the reply. He said, father, I smile because I see my grandfather coming towards me. And he's about to quench my thirst from the pool of a Kothar. He said to him at that moment, that son, why do you cry? He said, because I see my grandmother Zahra in front of me. Allahu Akbar. But son, what makes you cry? He said, for every tear that you shed, I see her slapping herself on her cheeks. Matam al Hussein, ya Hussein. Jawani mimarneke. Hasrat hai kis ke Zaifi mein kaando pe Mayat hai kis ke Khuda 